Good morning. If I'd known you could hug and kiss in church, I'd have got in a lot quicker. <laughs> the marriage retreat always is a a place that comes back with a lot of uh, stories and a lot of joy and uh, a lot of healing. So we appreciate the uh, work that goes on there. The little Johnny was playing, paying quite close attention in his Bible class, as I know many of you did as you were a kid. And they went on and on about the story of how that God took a, a rib out of Adam and made Eve. And so later on that evening, he was laying around the house, kind of looking like he was sick. And his mom asked him, what's wrong? And he said, my side's hurting. I think I'm fixing to have a wife. Well, I don't think he got it, right? And when it comes to this subject of grace, I feel like little Johnny. I, so many times I, I look at my own life, I look at sin, the things I struggle with, uh, uh, all the things I've been taught, good and bad, and everything in between. And sometimes when I think about grace, I... I'm like, I feel like I'm like him. I didn't get it. You know what I'm saying? So, the first thing I want to do today in this lesson entitled Getting Grace is I just want to uh, read a lot of verses to you. You know, the uh, Bible's so full of good and healing things for us. Uh, I'd like to say I had some kind of real simple three-point outline. It was going to be on the screen and you would see it all, but don't you ain't going to find it there. Uh, if you want notes today, take them. All right, get out your pencil, pen. This is old school here. We're just going to do a little talking about grace today. Is that okay? Let's just read some verses first. Hebrews 13:9. Don't be misled by the many strange teachings out there. It's a good thing for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It's a good thing for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did that you can be proud of. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Romans 5, 20, 21. The law stepped in to amplify the failure, but where sin increased, grace multiplied even more. The result is that grace will rule through God's righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, just as sin ruled in death. Titus 3, 3-7. In the past we also were foolish. We did not obey. We were wrong. We were slaves to many things our bodies wanted and enjoyed. We spent our lives doing evil and being jealous. People hated us. We hated each other. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior was shown, He saved us because of His mercy. It was not because of good deeds we did to be right with Him. 
He saved us through the washing that made us new people through the Holy Spirit. God poured out richly upon us that Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Savior, being made right with God by His grace. We could have the hope of receiving the life that never ends. Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 2 Corinthians twelve seven. So that I would not become too proud of the wonderful things that were shown to me, a painful physical problem was given to me. The problem was a messenger from Satan sent to beat me and keep me from being too proud. I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me. But he said to me, My grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect. Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 1 Timothy 1, 14. The grace of, of our Lord overflowed. I love that picture of overflowing, by the way. The grace of our Lord overflowed on me along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Hebrews four sixteen. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you really get grace? I know we all say the words, they roll off our lips so quickly, I am saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. I get it. I get the initial conversion part. I know I didn't deserve to be saved. I know that my sin had separated me from God, and I knew there was nothing I could do to make that right. And so, as a result, the only way to God is through grace. Now, that grace was shown to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is the explanation of grace, right? It's not only the explanation, it's the experience of grace, It's the amplifying of grace. It's the altar of grace. It's where we can find hope and salvation, even though we don't deserve it at all. Now, I was brought up uh, to learn the Bible, to trust the Bible, and a big emphasis on the truth of God's Word, and I'm so glad uh, that I was. I missed the verse a little bit, though, that says when Jesus came, he came full of grace and truth. And I think that we whispered grace and shouted truth. Got it? That's kind of the way it felt to me. And I really wasn't sure that even when I was uh, baptized into Christ and I knew I obeyed the gospel... And I knew it was by grace, but still, sometimes I didn't really have that full assurance that I was saved. Anybody with me on that? Did you battle that yourselves? You know, I used to think it was just kind of in our tribe that we battled that. Now I realize that legalism is really a human problem, not just a church problem. It really is. And so we battle that thing about being saved. Can I know I'm saved and the assurance of salvation? 
And boy, if Satan can put any doubt in our mind about being saved by grace, he loves to do that. Because he loves to keep us thinking that we're under the bondage of the law of sin and death, that we're not. See, Romans 8 says when we became Christians, we were set free from the law of sin and death. That was the law that said every time I sin, I die. Well, see, I kind of thought I was still under that law even as a Christian because I would try to live right. And then if I sinned, I thought, uh-oh, I died. And then I had to say a quick prayer for God to forgive me for that sin. I was back in and I was kind of like, it was kind of like my name got quit. My name kept disappearing and reappearing in the book of life. And I just hope God, Jesus came at the time it was there. You know what I'm saying? If I could have died with a cup of communion in one hand and bread in the other, right before I died, boom, boom, I'm in. You know how that feels, right? When really my most assured time was probably when I came right up out of the baptistry. If you'd have just drowned me then, I'm in. I got it made. Unfortunately, we should be growing in our... That shouldn't be the most assured moment of our life. We should grow in our grace with God. The very fact that I have struggled, Satan wants to lie to me. And here's the lie that he says. If Satan can get you with sin to to hang on to the shame of that sin and the guilt of that sin, and the embarrassment of dealing with that same old sin over and over again, then he can cause you to doubt the grace of God. But isn't that what Paul did? When he said, those things I am doing, I don't want to do, in Romans 7, present tense, by the way. And those things I don't want to do, I'm doing them. And it's making me crazy. I'm battling the same old sin over and over again. And the way Satan lies to me is that, Mike, you can't just keep going to God but because of that sin over and over again. I mean, and I even want to say sometimes to people about my own life, look, how can I keep, how can I ask God for forgiveness after I've done this time and time again? And then a voice wants to interrupt me and say, wait a minute, Mike. What, the, what made you think you had the right to ask for forgiveness the first time you did the sin? It's all by grace. I cannot fix me. I, that was a strong amen over there, sister. But I understand. I cannot fix me. I've tried. It didn't work too good. Other people have tried. Susan's worked on it a lot. Uh, People can help and encourage, but I can't fix me. I can't take care of my problem. Paul said about his thorn in the flesh, he said... I, Paul said, I saw all these great revelations, and I could have pulled it out and been proud and said, look what God's done through me. He said, but God, but, so I wouldn't be proud of that. God gave me a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was discouragement. I don't know if it was a deacon in the church. I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know what his thorn was. If it was a, uh, I don't know if it was an ailment. It was a physical infirmity. Maybe it was some sin that he kept fighting over and over again. It kind of sounds like that when you get to Romans 7, you know. 
He said, I prayed three times, God, move this. And God said, no, my grace is enough. And I thought, you know, three times? Some of you, you pray, you pray for your kid 3,000 times, haven't you? Some of you pray for one sin 300 times. You've battled the same old sin over and over. Three years, 30 years, 60 years. And the answer is the same. My grace is enough. Why don't you finally lay that old burden down? You can't get saved by doing right. It just ain't going to happen. And if Satan can keep us in bondage with the shame or in bondage with guilt of our past sins that we seem like we can't have victory over, when we don't realize God already gave us victory. Look, your sin is no surprise to God. He knows. And His grace is enough. Because you see, where sin increased, Romans 5 said, grace multiplied even more. That's what leads him to write in Romans 6. Well then, then do we just keep on sinning that we can get more grace? No. No, because don't, don't you remember when you were baptized, you made a vow to God. You want to be enslaved to God, not enslaved to the old sin. No, you can't just keep on living in sin. You don't want that to be a habit in your life. You want grace to rule your life now and to reign in your life. But look, if you think you're going to get rid of all your shortcomings and all your sinfulness and you're going to live perfect, that ain't going to happen. That, not, that doesn't keep us from effort. We make effort to be holy, but effort to be holy is to be like God because we've been saved. We don't make effort to be holy to be saved. That already took place at the cross. That already took place when Jesus died for us. His grace is enough. Matter of fact, Paul says it's overflowing. And boy, do I ever need that. What grace encourages, grace empowers. Grace encourages you to be kind. Grace will empower you to be kind. Because you see that overflowing grace that we have includes faith and mercy in our Lord Jesus Christ, the one that gives us the help when we need it. Look. If grace covers your personal battles with sin, then don't you think it covers our church's battle with sin too? And shouldn't that make us give each other grace instead of judgment? You see, when you do not understand, when you don't get grace, 
then the eyes of decisions of who's right and wrong are all based upon you're looking at everything from the viewpoint of what I can and can't do and who's right and who's wrong. But the eyes of grace give someone the opportunity and freedom to be wrong and grow out of that. Because we're all growing together. None of us deserve to be here. But now that we are here, now that we are His children, then we grow and we learn and we have to encourage that in each other. God's never going to ask me to give more grace than what He's already shown me, I guarantee you. So when I have a relationship with a brother, it's a problem, or I have a doctrinal stance with a brother, it's a problem. Look, give him grace. Could you do that? When old Mike Kellett messes up up here and doesn't do everything right and struggles in my own mess and pride or selfishness, could you give me some grace? I, I need it. I really do. If we don't get grace, we'll be like little Johnny laying around complaining of a pain that produces something we don't understand. And when we miss grace, I know what it produces because the Hebrew writer made it clear. You see, he says this. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. When someone misses grace and they don't grow in grace, something grows in its place and its bitterness. Now it will disguise itself as righteous judgment, but it will be bitterness. And it'll be bitterness hold stones and rocks in their hands. And they stand around a, a, a woman that's been caught in adultery, putting Jesus on the spot, saying things like, well, the law says stone her, and we got our rocks. They didn't get grace. Jesus said, remember in John 8, whoever has no sin, go ahead and throw the... Go ahead and throw your stone first. There's no room for any rock throwers in the body of Christ. There's no room for that. They dropped him and walked away. And here's this woman who had been dragged in there, embarrassed in her shame and her mess. And right early in the morning, while Jesus is teaching a bunch of other people in a Bible class. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? They're not here. They're not here. Well, go and, go and leave your life of sin. I loved how he used judgmental brothers to bring a woman to meet him. That's kind of a good, neat story too, by the way. Grace. I think when you miss grace and bitterness grows up and disguises itself as righteousness, it's easy to become lazy in the Bible. 
and refuse the Word of God and disallow the Word of God to change our hearts. I think one of the things that challenges me all the time is that I have to lay aside my pride and say, my, I, don't, I don't understand this whole book. And grace, I depend on grace. It not only has to cover my bad behavior, it also has to cover my bad theology. Because unless you're going to claim you know the Bible perfect, then you're going to hold something that's not true. You haven't learned yet here. And me too. And I'm glad that God's grace is patient as it grows me up. And I think, oh, do I, I need to have that same patience in growing other people up, understanding the grace of God. See, it's not enough just to get mad and holler at somebody that doesn't understand or appreciate God's grace. It's a responsibility to love them till they do. See, grace loves the unlovable. Grace gets along with the ungetalongable. You've met those people, right? I mean, they walk out of a room and it lights up. You know what I'm saying? They just are hard to get along with. You just hate to see them come. You know, you see them come in. I, you know, I hate this conversation coming. I know it's going to be, you know, rough or bitter or there's going to be something wrong. You know, because some people have adapted that negative spirit about them that, that you know, they, uh, they not only see your glass half empty, they're, they're willing to pour the rest of it out. You know what I'm saying? Well, I... You know, and so all of a sudden, but grace says, I don't run from that encounter. Grace says, I embrace them and love them because Christ embraced me and my messes and loved me. And I, I'm, they're, they're no less valuable to the kingdom than I am. We're all the same. You got it? Grace. It's the only way we can be assured of our salvation in the past. It's the only way we can survive living with our sinfulness in the present. Is to know that grace continues to cleanse me. The blood continues, First John says, to wash over me. As I walk in the light, I still, in the light, I still need cleansing. There's still sin in my life. In the light is not walking in perfection. I used to think that, that you're in the light, you're doing everything perfect. You stump your toe and say a bad word, you're out of the light. You, your name disappears out of the book of life. You say a prayer, it reappears, you're back in the light. You're kind of in and out of the light, you know. That's not how it is. First John says that as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. We've got a relationship going on. And the blood of Jesus continually cleanses our sins. So guess what we have in the light? Sins. Sins that are being continually cleansed. Because it's about direction, not perfection. It's about trusting God, even with all of our weaknesses. All of our mess-ups. Even the same old sin we've dealt with for 20 years. Some of you know, right? It keeps rearing its ugly head. Because the one big surprise I found out is that 
in baptism that baptism doesn't drown the devil. Because he's still out there ready to wage war. But he can't have any victory over us when we trust God's grace. It's only when we doubt it and we think that somehow or another by living right I can make everything right. Ah, we've missed it. If I could ever just say and mean it, under seeing God's grace, I am forgiven. Say that with me. I am forgiven. One more time. I am forgiven. Do you believe that? That's grace. Not only are you forgiven, you are loved. Because you see, even as forgiven people, when you stumble and fall, you need to know you're loved. You know, I've used this illustration before, but when you're 60-something, you don't remember when you used it, so it's okay. Some of you weren't born when I told the story the first time. So, Josh is little and he's learning to walk. You know how they weeble and wobble and fall down, right? You know? And so you're back away from them when they're a little kid. I'm like, come to, walk over here, Josh. Reach your hands out. Or you shake your keys. Of course, you never really intend to give them those car keys for a long time. But you're shaking them. And they're trying to walk toward And they, he starts to try to walk. You know, he's kind of bounce. He's walking toward me. And he falls down. And I go over there and I kick him. I say, get up, boy. No, I don't do that. Do you do that? God doesn't do that either. God doesn't do that either. No, you go down and you get a little closer and you reach out your hands and you grab him and you help him. And when he comes to you, you embrace him and you love him and he knows that he can come to you. And that's what God does for us, you see. That's grace. So not only am I forgiven, I am loved. Say that with me. I am loved. So first of all, I am forgiven. Next, I am loved. The last phrase I want you to take home is His grace is enough. Say that with me. His grace is enough. First, I am forgiven. Second, I am loved. Third, His grace is enough. Let's break down one. We read a lot of texts, but let's just break down one of them in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, Verse 14, if you don't get out of the book of Hebrews some ideas that God's given some warnings out to people, you've missed the point. But with every one of those, he also gives confidence that as you walk by faith, great things happen. He takes care of you. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest... Who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest 
was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. You see, here's what happens. When you don't get grace and you're trying to be something in the church, you highlight your strength and you hide your weaknesses. But when you get grace, then you're like, Paul, I can't talk about the wondrous revelations and have any pride in those. No, God's God's grace is enough and I'm made strong in my weaknesses. And he sympathizes with those. He's been tempted. But he says, here's what we do. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Did you get that? It's a throne of grace. I used to think it was a throne of judgment. That God, the picture of God is a, a, an old man in heaven with a big stick waiting for me to stun my toe and say a bad word and boom, I got you. It was a throne of judgment. He says here, the Hebrew writer says, it's a throne of grace that you're coming into. And this throne of grace you can approach with confidence. Now, you know what confidence is, right? Confidence is... Going after Moby Dick with a harpoon in one hand and a jar of tartar sauce in the other. Got it? That's confidence. We approach the throne of grace because of Jesus and what we can do with confidence, not in ourselves. It's confidence because of who Jesus is. So that we may receive mercy. We're approaching this because we got some weaknesses and some sinfulness in us. And we approach and we want to receive mercy. Mercy means I deserve that jail sentence and the judge says I'm going to have mercy on him. He don't have to serve. That's mercy. Mercy means I don't get something bad that I deserved. Grace means I get something good I don't deserve. So he says I receive mercy and find grace. Here it is again. It's a throne of grace and I'm finding grace. So I don't just get it at conversion. I continually find it in my growth as God's child. I find grace to help. To help us in our time of need. This word for help in the original language, it's a word that means Run to the cry. When that baby cries, you mamas, you know the difference between a a cry that's I just want a little attention and a cry that something is desperately wrong, right? You know the cry. And when you hear the cry that something's wrong, you come what? Running. And it's a picture of God hearing our cry. God runs to the cry. God runs to your cry for mercy. He runs to your cry for help. He runs to your cry for forgiveness. He runs to your your cry for relief. God runs to the cry to help us in our 
time of need, this season that we're in, that we're just part of the journey that we're going through. And we're all going to have those parts of our journey that are difficult. Some of you are in the middle of them right now and we've prayed with you. You've got that diagnosis and it's not any good and, and we don't want it to be there. But you, you trust God anyway and God runs to the cry and you find mercy and grace in this time of need. But if we believe the lie of Satan, there's no sense in going to God again. How many times are you going to ask that? He ain't coming through for you. Matter of fact, you're so simple, you don't even deserve to approach the throne. Matter of fact, you're still planning in your mind how you're going to commit that sin and rationalize it tomorrow. God's already run ahead of you. And even knows that. Grace. His grace is enough. And when I don't get it, I find myself in misery. For Satan takes advantage of my doubts. He takes advantage of my weaknesses of my heart. Remember what the writer in 1 John says? Even when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. He knows all. He knows everything. God's grace is greater than your doubt. Mike, how can God save me when I I don't feel like I have my heart right with him? God's greater than your heart. You look, you don't receive God's grace based on your emotional circumstance. It doesn't appear and disappear based on your feelings. God's grace is not fragile. It doesn't break into pieces and fall off around from around you. It's a picture of it's overflowing. There's more than enough to take care of whatever problem you're struggling with. Now let's let me ask you. Isn't that, some, isn't that good news? I want you to get it. I want you to get grace. I, w- I want you to get it not just for initial salvation. I want you to get it in your walk. That even when you're battling some sin time and time again, I want you to get it that God's grace is enough. I want you to get it in your relationships. Some of you are going to go visit family at Thanksgiving. Some of those families are going to be great and have some of those are a mess and you don't even know what you're going to say at the table. I want you to get grace. I want, you to have, I want you to have voices and conversations that are seasoned with salt, that are full of grace to people. Uh, the relationships. I want our church to get it. I want our church to give each other grace. And conversations about each other be full of grace. So when someone comes up to you with for a criticism, the first thing you do is refill their cup with grace. Oh, yeah, but this brother, he's done this for the Lord and this for the Lord and this for the Lord. You need to recount the victories God, or God is doing through people's lives. And let's once again make sure our church is full of grace-speaking, grace-filled, grace-giving children of God. God, 
God's never going to ask me to give more grace than he's shown to me. Father, we love you. Whew, we've let Satan do a number on us, I'm afraid, of not understanding this thing of grace. But we know that you love us. We know we're forgiven. By the power of the gospel, Father, we know that lives are changed because of this gift of Jesus. Help us, Father, to have our hearts filled with overflowing grace. Help our conversations to be full of grace. Help our actions to be full of grace toward each other and toward the world that they may see who you are. I pray, Father, that you fill our hearts full of grace, that individually as we struggle with the same old sin, we struggle with pride, and that we struggle with selfishness, and that's really what most of them are. We just haven't learned to deny ourselves enough. May your grace teach us to be better people, to be like Jesus. And may we never doubt our position with you because of Jesus. May your Holy Spirit guide us. May he fill our lives with wisdom and discernment as we learn more and more about how to be the people you want us to be. I'm thankful, Father, for this church. I'm thankful for past leaders. You told us in Hebrews to remember those leaders that taught us. Grateful for those that taught about grace and assurance. And I pray, Father, that we could pass that on to the next generation that will multiply out to the world. We do depend on you. We are humbled when we look at our situations, but we are confident because of Jesus. It's in his name with the help of the Spirit that we pray. And the church said, if you've never been in on the grace of God, well, it ain't a better time than now. To say, I want to get rid of sin in my life. That's called repentance. I want to say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to have that initial grace feeling and feeling and start walking like Jesus from here on out. That's what our invitation's about. You have that opportunity. Maybe if you've just struggled understanding and you just want to ask for prayers of this church, that's what our invitation is to. I, I love you deeply. I don't want you to miss grace. Don't miss it. If you have a need to respond today, you can do so while we stand and while we sing.